All right, I'm sitting here with Conrad Everts. Conrad, who are you? What do you do? Well, primarily I'm a television producer. I'm currently producing a TV show called This Is Africa. For the last 15, 20 years, I've produced TV shows in about 39 countries now. And currently working on an episode that was filmed in Zimbabwe, and it's hilarious and fun and funny. And I'm very pleased with the work that they're doing over there. How long have you been uh, in that industry? Well, I graduated University of Montana School of Journalism with a broadcast emphasis in 97. I haven't spent all that time in broadcasting, but the majority of it. What made you get into that field? I was going to go into print journalism. Growing up, I felt very strongly that, you know, a well-informed electorate is key to a functioning republic such as ours. And so I thought by getting into the news, I would contribute as the fourth estate of, uh, of, of our democracy. And it didn't take long to learn that it was not a lot of it was a lot of car wrecks and and fires and stuff like that and I <clears throat> probably if I would have stuck with it I would have moved into a position where I would have been reporting on things that I would have found interesting but I had some opportunities come my way to focus on natural history projects instead and so I redirected my career toward natural history projects I'm very pleased I did in retrospect it was funny I was working at CBS in San Francisco right out of college as a production assistant and one of the one of the producers asked me what I wanted to do long term and I told him that I wanted to make hunting shows hunting and fishing shows and he needed you know being in San Francisco he needed a little clarification on that so I told him and he looked at me and he said I get it but whatever you do don't tell anybody in this newsroom what you just told me because you go absolutely nowhere so about 10 years later, I was walking through a sugarcane field in the Galapagos Islands, and I was had some time to myself and really enjoying it. It was just enjoying the birds and nature and everything. And that conversation popped into my head, and I realized that I was currently in the middle of nowhere, and that producer was right, and I couldn't be happier. And I just followed that path. It's don't get me wrong, it's been incredibly challenging when we're in the field. We work ridiculously long days and you have to stay in shape to be able to get up and down the mountains and it's one dangerous situation after another, but it, you know, it's what I think I was born to do. So do you work for yourself? Yeah, I own three companies. One's called Liberty Productions. That's the one that I do the TV shows with. And then I own another company called Craig Boddington Endorsed Outfitters. And we help big game outfitters around the world transition into the online marketplace. Historically, hunts have been booked through booking agents and at big conventions, big sportsmen's expos. But obviously this market, like everything else, is moving online and because a hunt is such an intimate and expensive um, purchase, they've got to have credibility, so we give them the credibility. And then outside the window of the office here, we're working on Mountain Bike City, which is a campground specifically for mountain bikers that are riding the Great Divide Trail from Canada down to Mexico. That one, frankly, we have no intention of making any money off of it. It's just a fun way to 
participate in something that's really extraordinary, present Helena as a, as a bicycle community, and meet interesting people from all over the world. What does owning your own businesses do for you? It gives me freedom. I grew up in uh, the poorest neighborhood in Washington State, according to the 1980 census, and I began working really young, doing all of the normal stuff that poor kids do, shoveling sidewalks, delivering newspapers, mowing lawns. And at 13, I ended up getting a special uh, permit because my family was poor to work in a factory, even though I wasn't old enough, according to state child labor laws. And spending those years inside of a factory environment, um, it made me really committed to not having a boss and not working set hours in a set place day after day. And one of the biggest blessings I ever had was growing up as poor as I did because poverty doesn't scare me. So I was able to take some big risks in my career. And one thing a lot of people forget in our economy is that unless you take risks, you don't get rewards. This, this economy rewards people who are willing to um, put it all on the line. And I've had the opportunity to do that many times over my career. And I've chosen to do it, and um, I'm very pleased with where I am today. I mean, I was up snowboarding this morning because it was a great powder day, and then this afternoon I worked on a couple of TV shows, and that's that. I love being my own boss. You got to be a hustler. You got to, you know, stay on the move. But as long as you're willing to do that, it's a lot more fun for me. I mean, some people prefer security. I don't. I think the most secure place in the world is a solitary confinement cell in a prison. And that's how, <laughs> that's how I look at security. I, I have no use for it. Fair enough. Um, <clears throat> what was one of your first businesses that you started? Yeah, that's a great question because I've had a lot of colossal failures. I think probably the first one that failed... My, my lawn mowing and snow shoveling and, and paper boy routine, those were all successes. Um, people needed it, even being in a poor neighborhood. I can tell you, though, trying to sell newspaper subscriptions in the poorest neighborhood in, in Washington State did make me a great salesman. Uh, I, I will talk to anybody anytime, and I can move a conversation forward, and I can find out if there's a mutual benefit, and if there is, I can close a deal. So that was a huge benefit. But um, as far as failures go, I remember I was at a yard sale as a kid once, and I spent my money on this little shoe shine box that had all the supplies in it. But growing up where I grew up, nobody shined their shoes. You know, poor people, we, we don't shine our shoes very often. And so I had no idea how to sign shoes. So I took the bus down to downtown Spokane and I set up a little sign in front of the federal building. And three days went by me sitting out there in the summertime for six hours a day getting exactly zero shoe shines. I had no idea what I was going to do if somebody actually asked me to do it. I kind of thought maybe I'd give them a freebie if they'd show me how to shine shoes. But on day three, somebody... Um, must have had pity on me and they sent a security guard out and told me that I needed to have a permit and so that was enough for me to to quit on the shoe shine business <laughs> and I went back to mowing lawns which was a much better deal how old were you oh I was probably 12 okay and then 
But I remember, like, when I started, I remember the, like, my very first attempt at sales. I was in second grade, and they used to have these things called comic books, and they were printed on this thing called paper. I, don't, I know you're young, so you don't know this. But on the back cover, they had the, where you could sell greeting cards, like Christmas cards, and you would get a train set or a tent or different prizes if you sold enough. So I was all in on that, and I sent in, I, you had to cut out the little card, fill in your information, put a stamp on it, mail it in. A few weeks later, you get the samples, and then I hit up knocking on every door, banging on every door. Nobody got away from me. And one year, I got a pup tent, and then the next year, I got a train set. And so that was, now that I think about it, probably my first introduction to, to the one of the most challenging form of sales, which is door-to-door -door sales, which doesn't happen much in today's world. No, no, it doesn't. There's why go to door-to-door -door when there's Amazon. Yeah, but yeah, you had seven-year-old me knocking on your door. I get my foot in that door, and you were you were going to buy some Christmas cards just to get you away. Yeah, <laughs> you were going to buy some Christmas cards. <clears throat> so, do you have any tips to you know someone who's just starting off in sales? Yeah, you got to find the mutual benefit. Sales gets a bad name because, um, you know, movies and stuff. But you have to remember, too, salespeople are the, the lubricant of the economy. I mean, they're, the, they're like the joints that allow the whole thing to move forward. And so some people find sales a, a shameful thing. I don't. Uh, I'm very proud to do my part to participate in keeping our economy going. And so find the mutual benefit. It's not a hustle, it's a conversation. And it's a friendly conversation. And that's, that's the way it is. And if I'm, if I'm chatting with somebody, like with my endorsed outfitter business, and I cannot see a way that it would benefit their, their outfit, I will politely tell them that and keep the relationship open. But um, you've got to find the mutual benefit. Both of us have to come away in a better position. So through your, you know, growing up and becoming the entrepreneur that you are today. Uh, I wanted this next question, but let me add one more thing. You have to care about people, I think, and you have to be interested in people. And I, I find that my interest in people really helps because if we start out talking about one thing, but I really want to learn about them and maybe we go in a different direction, maybe I don't make a sale, but maybe somebody I know I can refer them to and that helps. So you were going to say growing up? You're genuinely, you are caring about the consumer's interest. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You're not just there to make a buck. No, I care about like everybody in my endorsed outfitter program is a friend of mine, their family, everybody that I make TV shows for. I care about them. I want to see them benefit. And I turn down I turn down projects if I'm not interested in them because there's not going to be a mutual benefit. Mm -hmm. My mission, I always say for, for all my businesses, is to have fun and make money with people I like. So what I was getting into like throughout your entrepreneurial experience growing up, you went from knocking on doors, selling comic books, shoe shining a little bit, uh, uh, mowing lawns, shoveling snow. Um, now you're doing what you want and you're in the hunting industry. So lots of your hobbies are hunting, snow, snowboarding, yeah, snowboarding, if I can talk. The words are hard right now. Um, <clears throat> what does that, you know, waking up and doing what you want, what does that do for you? 
keeps me energized. I'm somebody who, um, I mean, life to me is so incredibly precious and it's so brief and I'm so grateful at this point in my life that, to be very frank with you, if I found out I had a terminal disease tomorrow, I would be completely satisfied with what I've done in this first 46 years. I've been all over the world. I've I've taken time to go explore things that have interested me. Um, I've never put material uh, wealth or material goods first in my life. Uh, I've always just been wanting to live an interesting life. And so it being an entrepreneur today allows me to pursue things that interest me and that energizes me that energizes my mind i like that um <clears throat> you, you know you said you grew up in a poor neighborhood growing up like do you have any other personal struggles that, that you've battled with that you want to share you know the 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 idea of growing up in multi-generational poverty is actually incredibly significant because there's so much over the years. I mean, for the last 15 years, I've been on rich people's vacations. And whether it's when I worked with the Lindblad Expeditions, which is a partner in National Geographic Society, or on these hunts, you know, some of these hunts, they sell for $80,000. So you're, you know, I've, I've been on rich people's vacation. Socializing from where I come from to where I am now was probably the biggest challenge of my entire career to go from how I interact with people when I go home for Christmas or am in my the neighborhood I grew up in just goofing off and then you know in a beautiful chalet on the side of a Spanish mountainside with you know one of the top textile producers in Spain for example learning how to interact and learning how to socialize with these people has been incredibly challenging. You know, I've always admired, since the day I met you, I've always admired you and your lifestyle. You, you do what you want, you say what you want, and obviously it's going well for you. And I, one, you know, you've been a big mentor for me in life and my spiritual aspect. Um, and I just, I, I've looked up to you since the day that I met you. It's been, you know, you're a huge inspiration in my life and what I, I try and succeed. This podcast is a lot from your inspiration. That um, means a lot to me. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I just watching you do what you want, going to 35 countries, going where you're always all over the place and you're happy. And uh, I, I like it. Um, I wanted, you know, you, well, I know one of the things you wanted to cover and I, this is something is I call it the one person revolution. Yes. Yeah. When I was young, uh, I was very active. I've, the, the, the one thing that, that penetrates every aspect of my life since I was born is a deep concern for the earth and ecology and conservation. <clears throat> uh, I am fascinated, passionately in love with nature. And so I was very active when I was your age and younger in working on different projects um, for conservation. And, but having come from such a poor background, I realized that for me it was a different journey than a lot of the people I was surrounded by. And I'm not judging, I'm not criticizing, but they had trust funds, they had fallback plans, they had family money. And this, in, in retrospect, appeared to me almost like 
kind of the penance they would pay for the the privilege and prosperity they were born into but that wasn't my experience i mm. felt no need to pay penance to our society because i'd grown up on very little and with you know aside from the color of my skin almost no privilege and being blessed to be born in the united states which is something i'm very grateful for so I took a step back from all of this and I said, all right, so what do I want here? I want a healthy planet and I want freedom and I want an interesting life. And so I started to think of, I started to kind of study different social ecological movements, you know, the, the different movements and we're seeing so much of it now. And I kept looking at how they collapsed one after the other, after the other, after the other. And I started to think about, okay, so how can I do this in a way that's not going to collapse because of egos? Um, and what I realized is it's super simple. And it's a lot of the stuff I kind of, I was talking to my sister the other day, and I'm kind of calling it neo-hillbillyism -hillbilly, now. And what I mean by that <laughs> is it's about... And it's so funny because you, if you read the research, I was just reading two articles in Money Magazine that totally affirmed my one, man, one person revolution this morning. One of the things that they talk about is what I, I'm really committed to, not caring what other people think. So the amount of money that I moved through this office, you know, it's tax time. So I was looking at it the other day is ridiculous. It is a ridiculous amount of money moving through here from all over the world. And I drive a 1978 Subaru Brat because I don't have any payments. I don't have to pay full coverage insurance. So what does that do? That frees up a ton of my time so I can go play. Uh, you know, my compound here is mm -hmm. pretty much self-supporting because I've got the rental houses on it and stuff. Mm -hmm. It's not pretty. A lot of people that come down here, I mean, obviously with the park right there, it's great. But you have to kind of have an imagination to appreciate it. But my overhead on my my mortgage every month is just about zero what does that do frees up more time so freeing myself of concern about what people that i probably wouldn't like anyhow think about me is amazingly liberating so that's the first thing second thing i buy almost everything i get second hand now that does two things one it saves me a massive amount of money but two it's less wear and tear on the earth right three i always think about it like this if you earn first world but live third world you're a king or queen and i've luckily spent time you know all over africa all over south and central america so i know what it looks like to live in the developing world and it makes me pretty handy um but it also makes me think like a third worlder but i'm bringing in first world money so that means that i've got an abundance of money because I'm not spending it all on how things are supposed to be done in America. Which a lot of times is a complete waste of time. Probably the most controversial aspect of the one person revolution. Is choosing not to have any biological kids. Uh, that's less wear and tear on the earth. Your average first world kid consumes 20 times what a kid in Zimbabwe consumes. So if me as an American has one kid. I just had 20 kids. If I have two kids, I had 40 kids, on and on. And that's way too much wear and tear on the planet in its current state. Now, ethically, I also feel that, you know, with climate change and a lot of other things that are occurring, you know, we just reached 7.4 billion people. We're going to hit 12 billion in no time. 
it's not really ethical to have kids at this point. If you want kids, adopt one and nurture it and, and solve another problem. So that kind of encompasses the whole, the whole one person revolution and the freedom that comes with that. There's some other things like obviously I like to go hunt my own food. I like to can my own food. I like to, you know, do a lot of the, a lot of the old kind of stuff that my great grandma who lived through the depression taught me. <clears throat> Is there, you know, a couple in an argument or a conversation that you could do to change someone's view on one person? No, and what's funny about that is when you invited me to do this, which is an honor and I appreciate that, I thought about it and the reality is almost like meditation. The people that are interested in it are already doing it. It's an intuition. It's an intuitive thing. Like people that... They care about having a relationship with their higher power, their God, whatever, and or meditating, being spiritually fit. Um, it's almost like there's no reason to even write books about it or talk about it because they're already doing it. And so I think that um, maybe, maybe there's one person that'll listen to this and go, you know what, I'm done running in the, the hamster wheel. I'm done wasting my days. I mean, that's what this all comes down to is two things. Our days are precious and nature is precious. And by living a lifestyle, and it's not even hard, it's actually way easier because I've done the corporate routine. I've done the, the, the city routine. Mm -hmm. And this is actually a thousand times easier. So maybe there is one person out there going, you know what, I'm over it. And if they embrace this, embrace some version of this, hey, great, it's freedom. And you also, you know, what is success? Like, that's what you want to talk about on this podcast. We all define success our own way. My success is that more days than not, I can wake up and do what I find interesting. That's success for me. That's freedom. That's freedom. And I was thinking about this the other day because having spent the last 15 years on rich people's vacation, I always thought growing up as a poor kid that freedom came through prosperity and wealth. And I'm finding that the most prosperous people that I spend time with are actually bogged down with obligations, which is kind of the opposite of, of and I'm not saying be irresponsible, but that's kind of the opposite of freedom is when your days are being dictated to you mm -hmm. by others. And what occurred to me this, this last couple of weeks is that it's about being invisible and just flying so low below the radar. People aren't trying to take pot shots at you in business. You know, you just keep everything as low as possible. Probably this podcast is, you know, hopefully nobody will listen to it. So nobody, <laughs> nobody hears all this. But really, like... Like, I look at my ancestors, who really were hillbillies. I mean, they really were on both sides. And I don't mean that in an insulting way. I mean it in the most affectionate way. I admire them. I admire their grit, the way that my great-grandma had canned goods. And, you know, right up till she died, that was one of the things she left behind. How they could fix their own stuff, how they could kill their own food, how they could do their own gardens. I admire all that. So, that's that's what I mean, is like especially being in TV and stuff, I'm always surrounded by people who are flying pretty high, who need a lot of attention, a lot of affirmation, particularly from strangers. Mm -hmm. um, and what I've learned is to go down low 
And, uh, you know, in my business in marketing and television, the way I look at it is, like all other people, God love them, with the big egos that want all the attention, they're like the turbines, you know, and they're spinning, 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 burning up all this energy. And I'm the wire. I'm the wire that directs that energy to where it needs to go, like a power grid. And I just pull off, you know, typically 15% of that energy that is tra being transferred from the person that needs the attention to the person who needs to sell something using that that name and I love it you know I don't have to move all that much you're behind the scenes behind the scenes stay low I like that um, <clears throat> do you have any morning habits that you do for like keys to success absolutely uh, I I wake up naturally at five um, I have no idea why but I don't do anything for an hour I just drink coffee maybe read the news read a book um, and I ease into my day really slow unless it's hunting season and then um, I kind of get organized and then I sit down I have a rocking chair that you know my mom had before I was even born and I sit in that chair and I breathe and I focus on my breath and then I say my prayers, and I say very simple prayers. I just say, I ask, you know, obviously I say prayer of gratitude, prayer of praise, and then I just ask uh, to be in harmony with my destiny. That's all I ask for every day. And my only goal at this point in life is just to move closer to God. Every day, just move closer to God. And I know where to find God, and for me, God is in nature. So my life has become incredibly simple. I live right next to the lake. I got all the trails. All I have to do is go outside and take a breath of the clean air that we have here, and I'm closer to God. I have no other goals. And your backyard is pretty sweet. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. yeah. And this, everything I have, though, I mean, that's my secret. That's my real secret weapon is I trust God. And so I don't have to worry because, like, I, I believe that God thinks I'm funny. I really do. I feel like God, like <laughs> God's like, this guy is funny. He's appreciative. It's just like a kid, you know, who are you going to give the most presents to? You know, the one that's grateful or the one that's a pain in the neck. So you see this compound. I mean, I live right next to a beautiful park. I live exactly where I want. I got lots of room to build new things when I want to. Mm -hmm. And I got this thing for a song. It was a gift from God. It's pretty sweet. You've got the whole setup. I love coming down here for the bonfires. Every single project I'm working on came to me out of thin blue air. And I, what I mean by that is it came to me from God. Like the TV show, I didn't go after it. Somebody came and asked me to do it. The endorsed outfitter thing, same thing. The campground, it just comes. The things that you have try to do what you want to do have they crash and burn in business so most of them have and i think a lot of that was just me getting my version of a mba <laughs> um okay years ago i was in kenya and i had this idea to bring batik shirts at the time i was living over by seattle bring batik shirts over to the u.s and <clears throat> i was trying to help a guy out over there help him start a business he used to work in a bank that was owned by the dutch and 
the dad sold the bank <clears throat> to the Kenyans, and the the bank went went belly up, and then his family was not prospering. So I was trying to help him and help me at the same time. And I got that first box of shirts, and I was working. I wasn't making much money at the time, and I'd spent fourteen hundred dollars on that one box of shirts. And I opened it up at the FedEx Depot, and they were purely junk. Like every bit of them was junk. There was not. There was no way. I went to a flea market down in Tacoma and tried to sell them, and nobody wanted them. So. Um, you know that to me seems like something you would think that the gods would be would be behind you know like helping this guy over in africa that needed money and had a family to support and everything but for one reason or another that one just flopped but i learned a lot from it you know i mean i i don't think there's any entrepreneur that you're going to meet that hasn't had some amazing flops it just got to stick with it yeah that's true i don't know anyone who hasn't failed over and over again yeah, then the, my only thing is I don't I don't like to borrow money for my businesses. That's part of my philosophy. So I try to build these things up using cash because I just think it's I think it's a little too easy when it feels like other people's money to um, be a bit cavalier in how it gets spent. And I also think that have building these businesses up incrementally, you know, cash, 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 cash. Just for me, spiritually and emotionally, feels a lot better. Well, I should have took your advice two years ago, and I'm still paying on that loan. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a lesson for itself. Yeah, there's a reason the Bible talks about, you know, not not borrowing and lending. Yeah, hey, but one day I'll pay off that loan, just slowly but surely. And you'll learn. Yeah. You'll learn. Yeah. Well, do you have any any last words to say? The only thing I would say is um, since nineteen. Well, there's there's one one fact I think everybody needs to know in America. The research has shown that when you exceed seventy five thousand dollars a year, the correlation between happiness and income begins to diminish. So there is an upward correlation between prosperity and happiness, but the cutoff line is $75,000 a year. So take that into consideration if you're out there chasing. Also, the working class, of which I'm a member, has the, the value of the dollar for us has really diminished since 1970. It's true. I mean, you're a young guy. You see it out there. Yeah. It, is, it is hard to make it in this economy. So you got to be smart. And every time I see a $50,000 truck running this way and that in Lewis and Clark County, what occurs to me is that is the same amount that you would need for seed capital in an entrepreneurial venture that you would own yourself, whether it's an ice cream shop or a window washing business or a snow plow, whatever it is, I think every person should have a side business that they do even if it's only four hours a week and it does two things it helps them understand the market in case they ever want to get out of their position they can you know be, lay all the groundwork to blow that business up in a good way and it also gives you a little extra scratch and that's freedom and so um my advice is yeah stop at seventy-five thousand a year and if you're thinking about buying a $50,000 vehicle, consider instead 
investing in yourself. Well, investing in yourself always pays off. All right. Well, thank you, Conrad. I appreciate you coming in. You bet.